Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today in Santon, South Africa, is the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of International Relations and Cooperation of Namibia, and also the Vice President of Namibia's ruling party, SWAPO, Ms. Netumbo Nandi Ndaitwa. Welcome to the show. Thank you for hosting me. It's always a privilege to host a leader like you who's lit the torch that lights the path for so many women, particularly in Africa, to make their respective journeys possible. I'd like to start by talking about your political career, which started in 1966 when you joined SWAPO. You left Namibia for exile in 1974 to Zambia, eventually returning to Namibia in 1989, where you have risen through the ranks and assumed ministerial roles in foreign affairs, women affairs, information, broadcasting, as well as environment and tourism. Can you please share with us a few memorable moments of your early career and when you understood that politics would be a big part of your destiny? I did not really understand the politics to be part of my destiny. However, when uh, I grew up in a very big family, uh, we were a family of 13 children, and uh, I'm born and grew up in rural Namibia. And uh, as you know, in the African culture, uh, the whole village is uh, one family. And in growing up there, you start to realize what should you do for your community. That time, of course, Namibia was not independent. Starting from the late 50s to the 60s, uh, that is the time when in Africa there was a movement for liberation which we were starting. And uh, Namibia was not spared. So there were those... Uh, uh, the, uh, older than us, who were involved in this uh, colonial resistance. And uh, they started organizing uh, meetings, particularly after Sundays. And uh, as young people, you go there and you listen. And things that are talking, they are the ones you are experiencing at home. Uh, for example, I, we had one of our brother who did, he did not go to school. Uh, the others went, but this one opted to go for a contract labor system. And uh, when you are told that uh, our people, they go for contract labor system, they are poorly paid, they are not properly taken care of, and then now you have this brother, when this brother comes back after uh, uh, 24 months, uh, basically with only one small uh, bag, a suitcase, and uh, not really offering much. You, you just wonder what is happening. And then now you are listening. So to me, that has really helped me to raise up and uh, be part of the resistance uh, to fight for independence. And uh, that has been guiding me until then when uh, I went to school. Uh, the time in 1966, I moved from my village home and then when I went to the boarding school, uh, uh, very young, of course, uh, I had to go to the boarding school younger 
because uh, you saw my parents, my father was a, a pastor, and we went to the sub A so early, so you were able to progress. Uh, I remember at our school we had only standard two, and uh, when I finished standard two, I had to repeat because they said I was too young to go to, 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 to the hostel. So then the following year again, I was going to repeat. But there were these missionaries who were coming for outreach uh, medical service. When he, she was informed that I was going to repeat for a second time, they said, no, I'm going to take her up. So that is how I went early uh, to, 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 to the boarding school. And that was a missionary school, Anglican Church. So in the Anglican Church, particularly in Namibia, that St. Mary's Anglican Church is seen to be the, the birthplace of uh, uh, colonial resistance, particularly in the northern Namibia. So that is how my political career has developed. And even when I joined, I was at this school. Until then, when um, finally the Swapo Youth League was uh, established at the Tanga Consultative Congress, uh, which was uh, in Tanganyika, Tanzania then. Now, uh, then the wings were established, like the Swap Youth League, the Women's League, the Elders' Council. So then we formed also a branch back home in Namibia. And uh, at that point, I was then elected or appointed by my, well, my, my colleagues to be the chairperson of the Swap Youth League in Ovamboland at uh, that time. So that is how my political career started. And then we start now our mobilization work. Then when I was arrested, it was 73. And upon my release, I was then given a three-year suspension. So when I was then released, I, I was then that time a teaching, unqualified teacher. But you see, when you are on a suspension for three years, it means you should not do any political activities for that period. And if that happened, you only be locked in for three years. You don't need to go to a court or anything. Then, like enough, that was the time also there was a coup uh, in Portugal. You remember the Caetano coup? And uh, things changed in Angola. But, uh, of course, Angola was not yet independent. However, because of the coup in, 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 in Portugal, uh, things were a bit okay. So that's why in 1974, uh, together with my four comrades, we left the country. It was a long journey. But I was a group leader, it's obvious. Being the chairperson of the Swap Youth League in the Ovamboland, and you are in the group of this, and they recognize this leadership. So we took the journey. That's how my political career has developed. Thank you so much for sharing that story and, and evoking such rich memories of your passage, looking at community, being raised with 13 children in a family, and then following on to pursue your political career. Now, looking back at all the years that have passed, do you think that Namibia as a country is in the right place that you had imagined it to be now after all those years? Yes. Uh, first, when I participated in the liberation struggle through SWAPO, the aim is to liberate the country. And even when I went into exile, the aim is to liberate the country. So I'm so happy, I'm satisfied that Namibia is today independent 
for the past 29 years going to be. And uh, the people of Namibia can now decide on their own destiny. Of course, there's nothing that does not have challenges. And uh, you have to accept that uh, when we were fighting for our independence, the international solidarity was so strong. Uh, the international support was so strong. But with Namibia's independence, we have to do everything on our own. And uh, the history of our colonization uh, has really hit into the core of what would one need for development, and that is education. So we, at the time we got our independence, we had a very big skill deficit. Uh, of course, we tried when we were in exile. Uh, Swapo had uh, education centers, uh, particularly in Angola as well as in Zambia. Some Namibians were accorded scholarships to friendly countries to study in different fields. Namibia being a, a trustee of the United Nations, you remember there was the UN Council for Namibia, which was like a, a government for Namibia under the UN. So they also looked into this issue of education, and that's why the United Nations Institute for Namibia was established in Lusaka. So they train some of the people who are now occupying critical position in the country. However, the majority of Namibians remained in the country. And that uh, skill deficit is still haunting us, regardless to the fact that uh, when we got our independence, we had uh, priorities, education, uh, health, housing, and agriculture. And at the time of independence, we had to bring together 11 different educational systems which were based on ethnicity. Up to now, we are on the process of reforming our education. Uh, again, Namibia is not uh, an island. We are part of the international economic and political system. But here I want to emphasize on the issue of the economic system. When the whole world is uh, now experiencing recession, it is also affecting us seriously. The time we got our independence in uh, 1990, that is the time like HIV AIDS was really uh, haunting the whole world. But uh, we faced it. We, we, we have to thank the, 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 the U.S. president the program of, uh, uh, on HIV AIDS that we have benefited, the U.S. AIDS program. Because the first years, it, it was really eating even into our health sector. Because we had so many people who have to be admitted, you needed medication of all different types of illness. As you know that whenever the person is HIV, the opportunity diseases comes in. So it was really getting into us and uh, affecting a lot of the, our developmental program. But we managed with that support of the U.S. AIDS programs to handle it. But there was that uh, shortfall. Uh, because uh, even the life expectancy had to go down, and we have to deal with those challenges. Uh, with the current world economic recession, unemployment is a problem. 
So we have young people who are unemployed, some with uh, qualifications, and this is also a program of guiding, uh, career guidance. So you might find some of the fields like administration, human resource development, they are flooded. But then you have uh, fields which are needed for innovation purpose, for growing the economy, which don't have the necessary scale. And some of the investors, when they come and they feel you don't have the skills, then they have to bring in. So th- this is a, we didn't want it to be at that, at, at that level. But uh, we are facing those things, and uh, we are looking into them, how we can address them, uh, because uh, with the resources that we are having, with our population of uh, 2.3 million, uh, at least we would be able to take care of our citizens. Uh, we, we, we did uh, the best we can do under the circumstances, and that's why Namibia is now regarded as an upper-middle income. But we have a challenge for the gap between those who have and those who are on the other hand. When we got our independence, the, the economic uh, system was uh, on one side on those who were more advantaged and the majority who were disadvantaged. But we did not go independent and say we have to share everything. So we have to do it systematically. Hence that gap we are talking about. But uh, we are really in the process to try to close that gap. So we are okay. We have peace. We have stability. We are managing our economy. We are managing our finances. But uh, we could have been better if we didn't have the skill gap if we did not come in at the time when HIV-AIDS was really getting into uh, many countries. So as you are planning, then there are always some intervention that comes in. But currently, our president has declared uh, poverty uh, eradication, and under the Harambe Prosperity Plan, uh, the nation is now rallying over that and to see how we can bring about prosperity in Namibia. Thank you for giving us the brief history in terms of the progress of how the country has moved from attaining its independence to start addressing issues of capacity and looking at the redistribution or upskilling of certain environments and needs in order to take the economy onto the next level. AIDS and HIV is one of the most devastating diseases to cause rife across the continent. And one of the most vulnerable population groups to be affected by it remains women. And you have been very uh, pivotal in terms of advocating the protection of the rights of women as well as children. And I'd like to quote from one of the speeches that you gave at a UN Global Leaders meeting in 2015, where you said, Namibia commits herself to continue to sensitize our people to fully embrace the critical role women play in society. Part of those interventions have included establishing a ministry of gender equality and child welfare to spearhead mainstream gender issues, gender-responsive budgeting, increasing the number of girls participating in both primary and secondary education, as well as the National Gender Plan of Action. Can you please share with us some of the positive outcomes of these interventions? Yes. um, I think here I must uh, admit that uh, I might be selfish and uh, self-centered, 
self-centered in terms that uh, I'm a woman and uh, I cannot compromise in as far as uh, advocate for women empowerment, women's rights. And of course, as a woman, I'm a parent, I'm a mother. And uh, I see when I'm just looking at people as they are moving on the street, for me, they are all my children. And uh, it's even more touchy when they have not reached the mature age. So that's why I, I, will, I, I have been and I will continue to advocate for the right of women, women empowerment, and the right of the children. Uh, I was even uh, given a, a good opportunity when uh, the founding president gave me a chance to establish the Ministry of Women Affairs and Child Welfare. I recall my first statement when I was appointed as a Minister of Women Affairs and Child Welfare. I say that uh, when it comes to the children, we have to make sure that uh, the pre-primary school is brought back, is to be made part of the, our educational system. I'm very happy that uh, that policy has been adopted and they are now being phased in. Preschools are in the private hands and they are not accessible to the lower income group or to those who have no income. And if your child did not go to a kindergarten or a pre-primary, you cannot compare with the other, so they are disadvantaged. So that's why I found it critical that it should be part of the educational system, and I'm happy it's there. Uh, as for the women, we, we have the national gender policy, and it's because of this uh, national gender policy that you find that uh, gender is being mainstreamed in all government activities. Uh, when it comes to representation, currently the Namibian cabinet cannot accept any board to be appointed which is not gender balance. So any minister try to think he can or he or she can take a chance, they cannot make it. And I'm so happy with our current minister for women gender equality. She's very alert when it comes to that. So those, what I have said that time uh, is now manifesting itself. If one looked at all the boards of parastitals, that uh, there is a gender balance. Uh, similarly, when it comes to gender budgeting, uh, because what really gender budgeting simply means, uh, when a ministry is uh, looking at their budget, they have to answer a question. To what extent does this budget impact in the life of a woman? Uh, I, I remember one time our Minister of Works uh, confronted me and said, you see we do gender budgeting. Now we are having a budget of transport, I, I mean of works, where we have um, construction of roads, constructing of buildings. Are you telling us that we must have women who are part of the construction or what do you mean with your gender budgeting? I say that's one of them. They should be part of the construction. But the gender budgeting is for you. You have to think when you are putting up a, a road, you must try to understand because in some areas you have women who are having their product and they need to take those products to the market. 
So you, you must see where it can make an impact. So if your road is going now to make it easy for the women to bring their product to the market, for me, that's gender budgeting because you are helping these women. For example, you are designing a town, and that town does not have facilities, even if for one to change the baby and so on. It is not helpful because you are now making the women to be confined at home because the, the, the town is not friendly for, for, for them to be there. So the, the, those things are really happening there. And uh, another area is not only now in the public sector. Even in the private sector, they are becoming gender conscious. So you, you find all these debates. So it's really paying off. But uh, we cannot say all is done. We still have a long way to go. Because uh, the attitude, and the attitude is not only attitude of men towards women. You also find attitude of women towards gender issues. You have to deal with people's mentality. And people should not think that simply because you are women, you are gender aware or you can understand the whole concept of gender mainstreaming and gender activities. So that's why now we are saying we must try to bring on board both men and women. I remember when, I, uh, when my mother was alive, uh, we went home, and I had my young boy, my, my son, uh, and uh, the, 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 the girls were ponding mahangu, which is, you know, traditionally is a, a women's uh, job. Now this boy came and grabbed and then started ponding. Now when my mother came there, he was, she was so furious. And then he said, what are you trying to do? Is this your mother's gender things that you want to bring into my house? So it's, it's not an easy thing at all. But uh, I'm happy as to what we are doing. Namibians are becoming gender conscious. Uh, some make it a joke. Uh, you can see it when it's serious. Uh, but for me, uh, as long as things are happening, they will get used to it. Uh, sometimes you find when women are appointed, people say, you are wheelbarrowed. Eh? When you were not elected, uh, maybe you were appointed by the president. And for me, I say, I have no problem to be wheelbarrowed because I know when I'm there, I I'm going to do the work. What I want is to be given an opportunity. And I, I, I tell my fellow women, don't be discouraged by those who are saying you are wheelbarrowed. Personally, when I first became a member of parliament, to be elected or to be appointed as the Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs, I was not in the first list of SWAPO uh, at uh, independence after the UN supervised elections. But the president appointed me among the six. A and for me, I, I, I don't feel uh, bad about it because not everybody with the qualification, with the capacity, can be elected because the number of people to be elected is so limited and what I can bring on the table. So whether you are elected, whether you are appointed, the responsibilities are the same. So these are the policies that are now working. Uh, we have uh, also adopted the Married Person Equality Act 
uh, because in Namibia, at the time of independence, if you are married, you are a minor to your husband. You cannot put your husband in your medical aid. You cannot um, uh, put your children on your medical aid. So once you are married, and even if your husband does not work, and I have seen this, I experienced it myself. When I became a deputy minister of foreign affairs, my husband was unemployed and we had one child. So when I applied for medical aid for myself and wanted to include my husband and my son, I received a letter that you are married, therefore you cannot have any dependence in your medical aid, your husband and your children do not qualify. When I received that letter, I wrote, I think, a six-page letter. I say I'm a breadwinner. You are not a breadwinner. Deputy Minister, and I read somewhere that in Namibia there was a census in 2011 and 2013 that 44% of households are headed by women. So women are effectively breadwinners. Yes. When you are not married, it's okay. You are a breadwinner. But when you are married that time, you cannot be a breadwinner. However, I made that letter, the issue was discussed, today it's abolished. So things are moving very well. Now women are happy. Even the salaries were not the same. And how we also discovered that the salaries were not the same, one of our ministers, that time she was a minister of local government and housing, Dr. Libertine, we were in parliament and she was sitting next to her colleague who is a man. And uh, that time, people were receiving checks. Now, she just uh, peeped and then she saw that her check was lower than the minister who was a man's check. She grabbed it and said, no, 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 let me see what is happening. Then she also made the case. So from there, the salaries were put at par in the, in the government. So uh, policies are moving as far as women's empowerments are concerned. But it seems it needs to be experienced by individuals like yourself and other women who are leaders to to take charge and say, we're not tolerating this type of inequality. We require parity. Deputy Prime Minister, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, you are a female leader. The Prime Minister is a female leader. We have very few female leaders, though, and we look at across the, the African continent. Last week, we had an interview with former president of Liberia, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. We've had Joyce Banda of Malawi, but we've had very few female leaders. Do you think that the time is right now for countries across the continent to accept more female leaders? Mm, they are not. They are not many who are accepting, but time has to be made. Time has to be made to accept female leaders. But uh, if you look at what is happening, there are many things that are telling you that uh, it seems that some communities, some societies are not ready for the female leaders. And that is why the trend is moving very slow. And uh, Africa uh, has to find a way of uh, taking the lead uh, in order to make our people realize that uh, time has come 
the other time I was listening in our television, uh, there was this young girl who was top uh, grade 12 learner, and she was asked, what does she think now that she came on top? I like her response because she says the future is female. So for me, this, the, 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 the world, the society, the, the, the people must make to understand that the future is female. Uh, so I, I'm seeing some um, uh, good signs coming, uh, but uh, you know that nothing good comes easy. And uh, what is happening now when you see uh, women in position of responsibility, the way they perform, for me, that is a grandee that uh, many countries, many societies will be convinced that time has come for women to become heads of state and government. And you are seeing this uh, uh, from um, other community activities. Uh, you, you, you are seeing women coming up with pastors, things which cannot be thought of before. Uh, more women becoming traditional leaders when you talk about Africa. More women becoming head of uh, corporate uh, uh, institutions, which was also rare. Uh, like in Namibia, the, the law we found in place, which we have to abolish, uh, does not allow a woman even to become a board member of a company unless you have a permission from your husband, but that is no longer existing. Now, when you are having all those, uh, it's a good sign that uh, we are now heading to a point that uh, communities and society will come to accept that uh, really the future is female and we can have a, a female uh, um, national leaders. That's such a fantastic point. The future is female. One question that I'd like to ask you is, you've been attending the BRICS summit, the, the 10th summit, which was held in Santon, South Africa. Could you give us a few of your thoughts in terms of the outcomes of, of the summit, if it fulfilled your expectations? Uh, anyway, because uh, the only session which I attended is the outreach, but uh, the most important thing is the declaration that was passed and uh, all the pronouncements that were made by the BRICS uh, uh, um, member states. Uh, what is really important for me, which came out, is that uh, the BRICS member states wants to reach out, uh, particularly focusing on the South-South cooperation, and uh, that is very critical, particularly for Africa. Uh, when we look at Agenda 2063, whereby we want by the 2063 for Africa to become an industrialized continent. And uh, with the programs that uh, the BRICS are putting up uh, will help, uh, the, if, if implemented the way they are being mentioned, like now uh, uh, concentrating on infrastructure development, concentrating on industrialization, uh, that is very, very important. And uh, it also came that uh, the, the, the host, which is the current chair now South Africa, also brought on the whole issue of gender uh, um, mainstreaming. And that is very important because we cannot really talk about development if women are excluded. And if we want to mainstream gender in the activities of the BRICS and all its partners, 
that is for me uh, a, a, a very important element and uh, it will give us hope that uh, something concrete will come out out of the cooperation between the BRICS among themselves and the outreach they want to do for Africa and other countries and continents who were invited to participate in the BRICS meeting. So we're going to see the benefits of BRICS extending not just to the BRIC nations, but also in those outreach programs across the rest of the continent. Exactly. That is what it is, because I think this one was the first to have a, a high number of attendance uh, outside the BRICS, uh, because the last one they were only talking about BRICS+. Plus. Now it's BRICS plus and African outreach. So every time there's an expansion. So I think uh, that's very important. Thank you very much for your comment. Deputy Prime Minister, as we close out our conversation today, could you please use this platform to share a few words of inspiration or wisdom to our young ladies that are listening to us on the continent today? You see... uh, What I would tell the young people is that um, uh, first you can be what you are by believing in yourself. At the same time, you need to be sensitive to others because uh, people's feelings, if put together, becomes also your feelings. So that's why uh, when you are in whatever position you are, because uh, as a human being, everything you are having is a critical responsibility. So there is no responsibility that you can say this one is higher because each responsibility is required in your life. And when you are applying yourself in everything that you are doing, you must always try, you have always to know that you are doing it for your people, for your country, for your region, for your continent, and for the world. And that is really going to make you move through. Uh, You you, you must also try to be, uh, uh, I say, you, you, you must try to be critical of yourself as well, uh, because uh, what you, what we see outside is what we have inside. Now, if you are critical of yourself and not to try always to be on defensive, then there will be a lot that will come out, and that will give you the strength to move forward. Uh, don't always, don't have what they call negative energy. So see yourself as part of the solution to whatever is in front of you. And definitely you can be part of that. Uh, That's why I even reject uh, this word when you say women and other vulnerable groups. We, we should not be see ourselves as women is vulnerable. We are not vulnerable. We, we, we have the power, and we must use that power. So if that vocabulary can be eliminated to call women vulnerable, who makes us vulnerable? So because the words that are said 
can work into your mind. So we have women are a powerful force, and that powerful force should be a guiding principle to the younger and to the elder. And we are created for a purpose, and that purpose we must bring it out. It's ourselves. It's in us, and nobody else can do it. So I'm really encouraging the young people that uh, we, we we must be focused. That is very, very important. Uh, you, you, you do not do things for any appreciation. Uh, you do things because you believe it's the right thing to do. And when you believe it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do because your conscience is the one that comes out. But if you are trying to be diverted from what you want to do, then it's a very unfortunate situation. So I believe the future is female, and when the future, the female are there, the future is very bright. And female are the people who can hold the world together, as they are the ones who brings life to earth. There is no way they cannot hold this world together because they are the world themselves, women. Thank you so much for that really powerful, practical message on the future is female and women need to think differently about themselves and make the world think differently about women. This is Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And today we have been talking to the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of International Relations and Cooperation of Namibia, Ms. Netumbo Nandi Indaitwa. Music